Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, The Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is rooted within me. Happy Tuesday. Today is November 17th, 2015. I'm Michelle Touche, filling in for Jeannie, and I'm here today with Dr. Michael Rice. We warmly welcome you to the show and thank you for choosing to be with us. Our call-in number is 646-200-4169. We encourage you to call in with your comments or questions, allowing you to actively strengthen and deepen your practice. So press 1 and we will be right with you. So let's welcome Michael in the conversation about Aramaic forgiveness, first century Aramaic forgiveness. Hi, Michael. Thank you, young lady. How are you today? I'm fine. Beautiful day here. Awesome. It is a gorgeous day here. We've got sunshine. It's breezy. It's probably about 75 degrees. Just absolutely gorgeous. White, fluffy clouds in the sky. It is beautiful, and one of the other things that makes it even better is we have water in our new house, so that's a big upgrade, <laughs> and uh, and hopefully this afternoon we'll have air conditioning, and then we'll actually be able to move in instead of staying at a hotel, but anyway, all things moving forward, and uh, it's starting to look like home, so. So we welcome everybody, and we're honored and delighted and blessed the fact that you're here and uh, choosing to share this time with us. And as Michelle said, our our process is that of understanding and engaging in the practice of first century Aramaic forgiveness and, in essence, becoming conscious creators of our lives. One of the workshops that uh, that we do when we do a workshop series oftentimes is on creating consciously. And in the Creating Consciously workshop, we point out the fact that the truth about you and I is that by nature we are creators. We're told we're made in the image and likeness of the creator, and that makes us creators. As creators, we have things show up in our lives, and because we really haven't grasped the fact that we're creators, we hold to the belief that if what shows up in our lives is something that we don't like, that somebody else must have created it. And all we have to do is change them, fix them, get rid of them, and then everything will be fine. But you'll notice if there's a particular creation that's shown up in your life over and over and over again, each time it's shown up, you've been there. It's yours. It's got to do with you. 
And once you understand that, then when something shows up that you'd rather not have, instead of sending it away, instead of blaming somebody else, instead of talking about somebody else, instead of insisting that somebody else should change, you start to look at yourself and go, hmm, what part of me has created this? What part of me is engaged in setting this situation up? It certainly isn't what I intended. If it isn't what I intended, then obviously there's a part of my mind that I'm not acquainted with. What most people want to do, however, is get rid of somebody else, blame something or somebody else, rather than inquire as to the part of their minds that they're setting these situations out with. You go back into the ancient teachings, which are about physics, physiology, psychology, and genetics, the Aramaic language, and you find a simple state. When they said to, to this teacher, Yeshua, they said, you know, how does this whole thing work? He reduced the whole body of understanding to four simple words that not even a Philadelphia lawyer can misinterpret. Ask and receive. Oh, that's just three words. Ask and you receive. Let's make it four. <laughs> your process is your process. And if you've received, it's because you've asked. If you're not acquainted with the part of you that's asked, then what you want to do is set about becoming acquainted with that part rather than blaming someone else. So there are two places we can create from. We can create from being, and our definition of being, of human life, is an easy experiential definition. Hold a newborn child, you know exactly what a human being is. That awesome, sweet, active presence of love is who each of us is. It's where we started out. It's where we're designed to live. So we can, and, and our lives are meant to be sourced from that place we call being. We can originate. We're the only creature on the planet that can originate something that's never been seen in the creation before. There is no other creature that we know of that can originate any significant new behavior. You know, you're not going to find the example I love to use, a couple of examples. You're not going to find a robin that returns to your backyard in South Florida every year, a pair of robins. And you're not going to hear this conversation take place as the two robins are sitting on the fence. Gee, dear, you know, we've been coming to this backyard in South Florida every year for the last five years, and every year we come, we build a robin's nest. I think this year we should build an Oriole model. Not going to happen. You're never going to see that occur. The robin cannot initiate any significant new behavior or create because they're not originators. They can only execute, that is, carry out whatever is in them. Now, there's a level of us where we can function as executors, and that we've referred to as carbon-based memory, that our, this body-mind unit, this so-called body-mind unit, is a device that stores everything that comes to it, every thought, every feeling, every reality, every frequency we engage in, is stored holographically in every cell in the structure, including the sperm and the egg. And things can be originated 
from that level of our physiology. And so if three, four, five generations ago someone originated something obscene or insane and nobody in the bloodline has seen fit to ferret that out, clean it up and throw it away, that is forgiven, and the word forgive means to throw out, to undo, to remove. If nobody's seen fit to do that, then that can act as an originative energy that will bring about a result in our lives. So we come sort of pre-programmed with a whole series, a whole, yeah, I'm not even sure I can come up with a word big enough, set of instructions that can, when activated, when they come into resonance, can become that originative factor. My offering is we're not designed to live life from there. We're designed to originate from the place of conscious awareness, not from the place of data stored within the body-mind unit. If you talk to a modern-day physiologist and you ask them what the body is made of, they'll tell you that its base element is carbon. If you take a look at the carbon atom, you'll find that there are six electrons, six protons, six neutrons. The number of the part of us that can originate things that we're not even aware of and those things show up in our lives is 666. Living in the mind of love, in the mind of being, in the ancient teachings was called living in the mind of Christ. And so we can live in that mind which we can originate from or we can live in that which goes against it. When you recognize that the truth of every human being is love, then every human being is designed to originate from love. But if there are things stored in carbon-based memory that are unlike love, they can go against what we choose to originate. So let's say that from being, I say, I'm ready to create the most wondrous relationship in the world. I don't know, I'm hearing a bit of a noise in the background, if we could mute somebody there. I can originate, I'm going to create the most awesome, wonderful relationship that's ever been seen in the creation. And then, if in my carbon-based memory, my memory bank and my relationship file from the generations, I have that relationships are always traumatic, I get hurt and people leave, then when I get that file on relationships resonated and firing in me, instead of awesome, wonderful relationships, what tends to resonate out with me because it's the part of me that holds a lot of emotion is I always get hurt in relationships and people leave me. And so what happens with the average person is somebody is drawn into relationship out of that highly charged emotional being left and being hurt in relationships and then when the hurt starts to move, what the average person does is they have no relationship consciously with the data that's stored in carbon-based memory in the relationship file, and so they point the finger at the person who's quote-unquote hurting them and leaving and blaming them and wanting them to change, wanting them to be different. And then, 
having had that file resonated and the pain move, they'll run out and have a few shots of scotch or an ice cream cone or whatever, go out and spend some money or whatever their drug is, smoke a little pot. Ah, see, I don't have to feel or deal with this. And they get rid of that person. They say, see, now it's taken care of. The person who would hurt me and leave is now gone. Oftentimes because I left them first. And then some time goes by. My wounds kind of quiet down. I'm able to hide it from myself again. And I say once again, ah, I want to create the most awesome, wondrous, wonderful relationship the world has ever seen. Now, if I still hold in my relationship file, so to speak, that I always get hurt and left in relationships, that starts to resonate in me once again because that holds an emotional charge. The energy of that holds a higher amplitude, and amplitude determines what I create. So here, you know, out from my my structure, you know, I, I, I was blessed three or four decades ago, I guess about three and a half decades ago, I used to speak at a conference quite regularly, keynote at a conference called Global Science. And one year, a gentleman named Marcel Vogel showed up at the conference with a thing called the Delaware camera. The Delaware camera is a camera that you don't take pictures of light energy that enters the lens. You tune the camera, and it takes pictures of frequencies. Marcel was able to take a picture of the high-energy waves that leave the mind when we think of thought. So I set up a high-energy wave. When I say I'm going to create this wondrous, awesome, sweet, grand, beautiful, tremendous, awesome relationship, my whole file on relationship starts to move. You know, if I say to you, don't think about the color of your car, what moves in your mind? The color of your car. So if I say this, or I, I set up and originate this creative process of relationship, but what's in my file is, in relationships, is I always get left and I get hurt, then out goes for me a high-energy wave, and the high-energy wave I like to call the, it's the creative wave or the psychic megaphone, And so what that psychic megaphone message looks like is, hey, world, I'm supposed to be hurt and left in relationships. Is there anybody in Dodge that knows how to do that? And what happens? Law of resonance governs. Somebody shows up. Now, that person in any other relationship on the planet may never strike a blow, physical, mental, or emotional, that would hurt and would be 1,000% faithful and never go anywhere except be totally faithful in that relationship. But in them is a potential to hurt and leave. And if that psychic megaphone message, that high-energy wave in me says, I always get hurt and left, it'll tend to resonate or activate that in that person. And that particular potential, if that person isn't fully conscious, will tend to express and they'll find themselves striking out verbally, mentally, emotionally, physically, perhaps scratching their heads afterwards saying, why the heck did I do that? Well, first of all, you did it because it was in you. Secondly, you did it because there was resonance that brought it out. Now, the conscious person would say, whoa, I'm feeling like striking out at someone. I'm going to take a breath. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to remove that because I want to do behaviors only from being. 
and that inclination to leave, gee, you know, I noticed that my leaving issues up. I think I'll do some forgiveness work and remove or forgive the leaving issue in me. And there they are, caring, supportive, nurturing, and permanent. But unfortunately, because most people don't look into their own unconscious dynamics, that would be activated in a partner, and that partner would strike out and leave and think, oh, well, you know, it's, I, I had no other choice. They were such a disaster. They were so, and, and they'll tend to have the, the matching bag of garbage. And so what we're encouraging people to do is if you notice you're producing results in your life, instead of blaming the delivery person, stop and go, hmm, what's the part of me that thinks I deserve to be left, that I deserve to be hurt? And as I'm able to go into the deepest levels, and maybe I'll go back five generations or 50 generations to clean that one out, then what happens is that I will tend to draw a different actuality, a different behavior from that person that I've drawn into relationship. Good chance I'll become aware of my propensity to be hurt at the same time as this person becomes aware of their propensity to strike out and if we've got the tools and if we're practicing the use of the tools then when that comes forward each person says gee you know it's a part of me that wants to strike out here and that's not how I want to behave so would you support me forgiving it and the second person would say well you know there's a part of me that feels like I deserve to be punished here and I'm ready to heal that and so through matching bags of garbage we get to heal together and so that's, in a nutshell, the essence of this work. And it doesn't matter, you know, that relationship is just one area. The same, the same dynamic applies to health, applies to jobs, applies to aliveness, joy, creativity, every aspect of life. It's all a creative process. So as you recognize that, if you find yourself creating something, then look for the part of you that's originating that, Otherwise, what will happen is you'll tend to live in denial. And remember, our definition of denial is I think or I speak as though someone outside of me is the cause of what's going on inside of me. You hurt me. You left. Rather than the inquiry as to what part of me feels like I deserve to be left and that I'm supposed to be hurt. And as I'm willing to do that, more and more, I forgive or remove the direction stored in carbon-based memory from the generations, and I consciously correct my creative process. When something unwanted shows up, I realize it's from carbon-based memory. I stop my conversation about them. I talk about me, and I work through that aspect of myself so that instead of having to escape, I heal, and that becomes the whole process of life. So that's what we are here to support in the world, people understanding that creative process and forming relationships uh, ultimately with everyone we have relationships with that are about healing and support and caring and nurturing and removing the parts of us that never belong. So that's what we're here for, and we're delighted that you're here to share the conversation with us. If there's anything about that that doesn't make sense, we would love for you to push one and ask your question. In the meantime, is Dr. Tim with us today, Michelle? 
He's here. Let's say hello to the young man. I'm here. I'm doing well. And I'm enjoying the intro and thinking what a wonderful world it would be if people actually stepped into taking responsibility for what they're creating and if we had a society that was actually educating us about the fact that we are creating. So I'm glad to be part of the the Internet show here that's putting that out there and looking forward to the day when more and more people get access to that. One of the things I look as I look to for a clue about that is the kind of awareness of people when they show up in my office. And I'm looking forward to the day when I start talking to people about how they're creating their own emotions with their thoughts and people say, yeah, I know that. Tell me something I don't know. And then we can move to the next level. And it gets easier and easier when people understand the actual process. I just had somebody in my office earlier today who, for a first session, has, you know, a very bright person, master's degree and functioning in life, but has been having panic attacks for the past 20 years. And um, finally went to a doctor, and the doctor said, good, here, here's two medicines, and if this doesn't work, I have a third one for you. And I was just thrilled to be able to offer some alternatives. Well, because this person didn't want to take the medicines and said, I'm going to seek out something else. So so I was thrilled to have... Smart person. Yeah, to have good options to offer and and to be able to educate the person about how they're actually producing that response and how... When it's not productive, they can choose a different response and actually create differently in their own mind and body. So, what an awesome tool to be able to hand somebody, eh? Isn't it just like to yeah. have that awareness is so huge. Yeah, and uh, again, I want to hats off to you, Michael and Jeannie, for making this work available, and then to uh, Bill Costantino for the beautiful PowerPoint that helps educate people about the core of the process. and that, that The fact that you're making that available on the website is just a thrill to me. It's, it's wonderful to be able to just point people there and say, look, we did it in the office and you felt a shift and, and you felt an improvement, and yet you don't know why it works, so here, go, go watch this two or three or five or 28 times, and then... <clears throat> Then come back and have questions, and we'll we'll answer those questions. But that that uh, PowerPoint about the core of the forgiveness process and the goal canceling, and how when I hold a goal, it generates my realities. It's the driver for the perceptual output of my mind. It's just a fabulous tool to be able to offer people, and that's available on your website. And I'm very glad it is. So if anybody's interested in that, if you go to www.whyagain.org, there's a bullseye about halfway down the page, and to the right of the bullseye, there's a link. And if you click that link, it will open up a series of links that will give you access to 
the text of that uh, particular presentation and a video in one of two locations. It's on YouTube and it's on Vimeo. So if one of them isn't working properly, you've always got access to the other. And so take it and use it. And as Tim says, 28 times, 50 times. You know, it took me 30 years to come to understand why the process worked taught it for 30 years and didn't know why, and finally was able to open up enough to be taught as to why it worked. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's it's monumental. And, of course, once you see it, it's so obvious. It's like, well, how did I not know this? This is, like, just so straightforward and easy. So yes, thanks for bringing that up again, Tim. It is uh, it is an awesome tool to have there on the site. And thank you, Bill, for having the skills to uh, to put together uh, that PowerPoint presentation so beautifully. So, are you seeing anything exciting happening in practice today? Patterns that would be helpful for us to talk about or look at? Well, I think that's that's pretty much it. The uh, the, the the concept is the unconscious. Um, it's been three sessions so far where people were absolutely unaware that they were not conscious of a lot of their mental processing. So the idea that even if they focus and concentrate for the next hour, they're only going to be able to be aware of five out of the every 100 thoughts that run through their mind, that was a startling revelation to three people already today. And the implications for that can be pretty depressing unless one has tools for uncovering what's in that unconscious and and ways to identify the warning signs that something from the unconscious has been activated and is driving their behavior. As you talk about, they knew about this in the ancient Aramaic language, and they they had a suffix for these words that would indicate that one is being driven, one's behavior or motivations are driven by an unconscious process. So maybe you could talk about that. The Uta brain cells. Right. Perhaps you could mention what you're talking about, the warning signs that that's, the pro- that's what's happening. That might be a, a, a next a, a good step. What are those warning signs? Well, it's it's kind of like the idea of how I can't see the wind, I can't see where it begins, and I can't see where it ends, but I get to see the effects of it. I can see as I look out the window right now, the trees moving, the branches moving, and what we say is that that they're moving in the wind but we don't get to see the wind. All we get to see is the movement of the branches. Well, the warning sign for me that my unconscious processes are are, are working against me is any kind of tension in my body or any kind of negative emotion, any energy of thought or emotion that I find unpleasant. That's my alarm system trying to tell me that my thoughts are off the mark. And it's entirely possible, once we understand how complex the mental processes are, that my conscious thoughts are right on track, 
and my unconscious processes are way off the rails. And when that happens, when I'm not in alignment, conscious to unconscious, I can stand in what I think is the presence of love and literally be berating somebody or badgering them, trying to tell them how I know I'm right and they're wrong. And I can be in that process harsh. I can be insulting. I can be abusive in my tone and not even realize it because my conscious logical mind is simply focused on this one logical point. Michael, you're not muted, so we have quite a bit of noise coming through. Oh, excuse me. My mistake. Thank you, Tim. So my conscious logical mind can be focused very clearly on this one simple point that says, I know that last Tuesday I said these seven words to you, and you're telling me that I didn't say them. So, and that might that might be right. That might be accurate. At a at an, an actual level, I might have said those seven words. And yet, I can be talking about it two, three, five, eight days later to the person who doesn't remember me saying that, and I can be ridiculing them. What's the matter with you? Is there something wrong with your brain? Do you have Alzheimer's? Why aren't you getting this? You were here. Why didn't you hear it? And I can be thinking that all I'm doing is stating the fact. And my unconscious can be loading my words with negative energy, ridicule statements, insults, degradation, and I can be oblivious to it if I don't know how to tap into the more subtle signs of tension in my body, negative emotions, frustration, etc. So that's what I would say about the warning signs. So then, unconscious processes communicate with us. It's interesting. You can actually go and spend $100 plus an hour to a biofeedback specialist to hook you up to a machine and tell you what your body's been trying to tell you that you've been hiding from yourself. <laughs> and a lot of people do that. Go, go and pay for biofeedback sessions when uh, their body's been telling them all along, but they've been so in denial and dissociation that they can't even see it, can't, can't experience it directly. So definitely key stuff, and uh, and to really wake up to awareness of every energy moving in us. You know, we've we've pretty much come to accept in this culture that through the principle of psychology that uh, at least ninety to ninety five percent of our mental processes are unconscious. And my take is that we're not even designed to have an unconscious mind. I think that. We're designed to be able to access anything and everything that's in us anytime we choose. And the only reason we can't is because we've created this artificial barrier. In the ancient teachings, this artificial barrier was called the veil of the temple, the barrier between the subconscious and the unconscious mind. And when we allow ourselves to become conscious, the messages were there all along, and all we have to do is be willing to listen. And we're going to tend to move through those things. So pretty powerful, pretty powerful. Let's check in and see if Michelle has anything happening with anyone in the uh, 
chat room or if there's anybody with a hand up in the phone queue. If, uh, you know, what Dr. Tim has shared, what I've shared, uh, brings up any questions for you, the whole purpose of uh, of having the call-in show is to interact with you. If something doesn't make sense, if there's a question, a refinement, or something that you think is off-base in what either of us have said, then we'd appreciate your hand. And when you push one, that puts your hand up in the phone queue. And uh, then Michelle will introduce you by your area code, and we'll get to chat. So, Michelle, anything happening happening in the uh, the chat room or anything in the uh, – anybody with a hand up in the phone queue? Our chat room is quiet, but we have area code 417 with us right now. Awesome. Uh, that, might, 417. that might be me. That, this is Jim at Heartland. Hey, James. Hi, how Jim. are you, sir? Uh, doing well. Doing well. And I, I, I have uh, an observation. Uh there was a day, I believe it was last week, when Dr. Tim was giving as an example, uh, being in traffic and uh, having a goal to get to a particular place on time and traffic slowing down and the realization that uh, that goal wasn't going to be met. And what he suggested, rightfully so, is that, you know, cancel the goal and uh, and just you know, get to that place of love, set Rachma, and cancel that goal uh, and get back to a place of love. And it just, it reinforced something that I already knew. But then I had the thought, wow, if somebody's brand new to this work, uh, I, I could hear them saying, well, you know, I didn't have a goal to get angry or upset because the traffic slowed me down. Uh, and and it, it occurred to me that every single time we have an emotion up for us, if we have four different emotions coming up sequentially, that we actually had four different goals, that we can't have an emotion without having had a goal. And, and it ties back into step five in the worksheet, and I, and I think it would be good to reinforce that, that, um, again, for a newbie, to heighten the awareness that if I've got an emotion up, whether it be anger or fear or sadness or disappointment, whatever that is, that there was a goal. Uh, and I just wanted to share that. Cool. Dr. Tim, you have some thoughts for that, for uh, Jim? Well, just that I would agree, and it it's such a, you know, it's one of the things I realized is I've learned so much in the past 12 years of exposure to this work, that there are times when I'm explaining it to people that I take for granted they have a base of knowledge that they don't have. So I I try to back up. I had somebody the other day say, after the show, they texted me and said, what's this Rachmakuba business? And they spelled it phonetically. Because I had given a, I think it was the day that I spoke for an hour without anybody on the line. And then Rex came on and said, you know, something about we have to reset the Rockman Cuba filters 25 times a second. And I didn't even catch it at the time, but the thing to do then is explain what do we mean by a Rockman Cuba filter. So I think it's a great point, Jim, that we have learned I won't do any behavior unless I have a goal. 
and there's a whole talk that can be done about that. The other piece that's important is whenever I have any kind of an upset and I'm using my alarm system to tell me my thoughts are off the mark, the next step I can do is say, okay, I must have a goal operating that's not getting met, that's being frustrated. And when I cancel that goal, as it tells us so beautifully in the PowerPoint presentation we were talking about, it literally collapses my false perception and gives me access to the hidden part of my mind that's actually generating the negative emotion so I can deal with it directly and dismantle it. So thank you, Jim. Most, most, most welcome. I think it's uh, it's a great awareness, and I agree with exactly what you said. You know, that second step after uh, recognition that uh, that I've got upset and wanting to get back to a place of love. Uh, and, and for me, the most significant part of it was uh, recognizing that there is a goal every single time, not once in a while or not most of the time, but 100% of the time that there is a goal whenever I have an emotion upset emotional upset that tying it back to the worksheet process reinforces for somebody that's new to the work because they can see themselves in a traffic situation or some typical uh, life situation where they have upset and, and it's relatively easy to recognize that if they've heard this what you've just uh, taught uh, but not necessarily relatively easy to sit down and do a worksheet but if they are able to tie that back to uh, seeing what the goal is and in the worksheet process getting to step five and canceling that goal, I think it just reinforces the desire to do worksheets. And I'm complete. Cool. Thank you. Great, great, great question, Jim, or great point to make. And, you know, in the situation where someone's angry, it would not be that they'd have a little, or rarely, I would think, I, I doubt there are too many people who set goals to be angry, but their goal, being frustrated, what they've found is that they have anger hooked into, you know, when their goal isn't being fulfilled. And, you know, the uh, the recognition that the perceptual mind is driven by goals is, a, to me, is a huge piece of understanding and a huge piece of information to have. So once I recognize that, Whenever a goal is active in my mind, it's going to drive behavior. You know, example I can share is uh, one that uh, that happened with my mom. My mom, uh, in her later life, learned to drive and loved to be out and driving around. And she lived in a place where there were some railroad tracks on a route that she took quite regularly. And one day she shared with me that, you know, just for years, Every time she'd get trapped by that train, she'd sit there in frustration and upset. And I shared with her the forgiveness process and the canceling of her goal to get through the uh, or across the tracks before the train stopped her. That was that was her goal. And she just, I mean, for years afterward, would laugh about that situation because she shared with me, like, you know, the next time I saw her, it's like, well, I got trapped by the train again. And uh, I had my book, and so I was like, oh, great, I've got time to sit and read my book. So for years, here she sits, you know, for two, three, four, five minutes in frustration. And now she's appreciating the fact that she's got two, three, four, five minutes to read a page or two in her book. 
And it's like years of behavior changed in the instant she canceled her need to get across the tracks before the train came. I mean, it was just like, you know, for her, it was miraculous. And when you look at the fact that perception is accomplished, or pardon me, is accompanied by emotion, generally speaking, of some kind, and all that whole process is driven by the goals that we hold. So somebody has a perfectly wonderful goal, and it can be attached to all sorts of negative emotions. If one chooses to free themselves of the, themselves of the negative emotions, they do it by canceling the goal. And what happens is the mechanics of it, and that's the uh, PowerPoint presentation that Dr. Tim was talking about, what happens is when you cancel that goal, it collapses perception. And then the collapsing of that perception, if you can imagine the structure, you know, we, we recognize that perception is a construct of the mind. And when you collapse that construct, you can imagine that perception collapsing in on itself, and as it collapses in on itself, it gives you access to that which it's collapsed into. So if it's collapsed into rage or fear or hatred or vengeance or whatever, one now has access to that unconscious material instead of being stuck in the perception that includes some form of hostility or fear. So you know, just a, a short window on why you would cancel a perfectly wonderful, loving goal. Because if you have a perfectly wonderful, loving goal and it's not being achieved and your mind serves up some sort of frustration or upset, that's the key way into healing that frustration or upset. It's just, a, to me, an awesomely powerful and incredibly wonderful piece of information to have and to understand. It's pretty pretty. Pretty sweet and pretty powerful. Certainly gave my mom back a, a little piece of her life that left her in frustration where, you know, she was pretty generally a, a, a pretty easygoing person anyway, but uh, but that was one that really used to get her until she got started to understand the canceling of goals. Oh, pretty cool. If I'm still on, I really like the way Julie distills it down to a simple statement. And my upset is caused by the difference between the way I want it and the way I see it. That's just really simple for me. Yep, that's the core of it all. If there's a certain way I want it to be, that's my goal. If there's a certain way I see it, a certain way I perceive it, by canceling that goal, I get to heal that part of my mind. How cool is that? Pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. So if there's anybody out there that you go, what, that doesn't make sense, or that we can give you any uh, new input, any, any more input in that regard, we'd love to hear your, your voice. And if you're in the phone queue and you push one, that'll put your hand up. And when your hand goes up, Michelle will in, introduce you by your area code, and we'll get to chat. Our call-in number is 646-200-4169. How can we support you? Michelle, anything exciting happening? Uh, no hands up right now, no questions. I wanted to ask if you had been aware of, you often talk about critical mass, and maybe if you want to explain that. There is a, an email or a Facebook 
group that started um, a promotion, I guess, for lack of a better word. It says, join us in our biggest global meditation yet as together we raise the vibration. And it's um, a worldwide collective consciousness meditation together at a synchronized time. And the interesting part about this, I think, it says the results of the collective meditation experiment will be measured by the Global Consciousness Project, there's a website, and a Global Coherence Initiative. And so the results are going to be featured in a documentary called Awaken, Time to Evolve, um, produced by a London-based film company. And um, so they're they're having an event. They are um, using scientific um, methodology to measure um, vibration or, you know, other quantifying factors and then promoting this through social media, apparently, and um, spreading the word over the couple of months. It's in December 12, 12, 12, 15. So I thought um, I wanted to share that because um, critical mass is something that you endeavor and apparently other people um, understand these concepts and are trying to synergize the the humanness and, and create that tipping point. So I wanted to put that out there. I thought it was very interesting. Cool. It is, yes. And and of course the concept of critical mass is that uh you know, goes goes back the first time I know of it ever being used in the world and it's certainly a clear principle of physics is two thousand years ago in the Aramaic when the man named Yeshua says a little leavening leavens the whole loaf. I think we're fairly safe in assuming that he's not talking about bread, but that he's talking about reaching critical mass. And if you're not familiar with that physics principle, critical mass is the amount of a particular substance or a change in the substance that takes place when just the right amount of a new substance is introduced. It creates a transformation. So you can have a beaker full of a particular substance and add a dropper of a, of another substance and another dropper and another. And you can have 99 droppers and nothing changes, and all of a sudden you add that 100th dropper, and there's a transmutation of energy, a transformation that takes place in the whole beaker. And so that's referred to in in physics as critical mass. So when Yeshua speaks of a little leavening, leavens the whole loaf, he's speaking about humanity, and that if we can get enough people who choose to stand in the truth of their human beingness and the presence of love, then we're going to see when we reach critical mass, we get enough people who are doing that, and this global initiative that you're talking about sounds like that's exactly what they're heading for, is the support of that. That's exactly what we're looking to do, is to take the tools to enough people who will actually use them to make that kind of a shift, then there's a transformation that occurs, and we're here to support that. So thanks for introducing that. By the way, I also I want to thank um, uh, Magda for dropping me a text yesterday after the show, and I owe people an apology from the show yesterday. I was so uh, excited about the film that I shared with you uh, about um, the Bridge of Spies that I wasn't thinking in terms of putting out spoilers for the movie, which I did. And I apologize for that. 
I think that even if you heard that and you picked up a couple of spoilers, there's still enough intrigue in it that you'll still find it interesting. But I apologize. In the future, I'll be more conscious if I'm talking about a film to uh, to leave the spoilers out and just talk about the principles uh, of the uh, of the film that uh, that I'm presenting. So my apology if I. Um, uh, soften the impact of any part of the uh, of the movie for you when you see it. So, but I'll yeah. be more conscious of that in the future. And so, uh, if we were in your town, everybody is listening. If we were in your town, Dr. Tim and myself and Michelle were on a platform. We presented the ideas that we just presented, and you were in the audience. I know that you would probably have a question for us as we completed our presentation, you'd probably be saying, well, Michael, Tim, Michelle, what about this? And you'd walk over to us and say, well, I just have a quick question. It's interesting. Almost everybody says it's a quick question. Well, we're not particularly concerned whether your question is a quick question or a long question, but we do want your input. And so if there's something you'd be walking over and asking me after our presentation or asking Tim, then, and you're in the phone queue, if you push one, that'll put your hand up. If you're on one of those stations that we can't uh, see in our control panel, then if you call into 646-200-4169, you'll be on the show with us and asking your question. Michelle, anybody with a question for us? No, Michael, uh, no hands up right now. Okay, well, let's look at some of the other ways that the ancient teachings uh, talk to us about this critical mass idea. Now, we hear uh, the the idea of asking and receive, seeking you'll find, knocking it will be open. Those, those are all Michael, Michael, statements. your voice sounds yes, yes. So, so muffled or something. Oh. Okay, let's see. Is that any better? Beautiful, yes. Okay, my apology. I had let the microphone slip a little bit. So this process of creating was spoken in many, many ways in the ancient teachings. And as you recognize that, you know, other ways that it was said, for instance, and it it refers back to the initial comments that I made in the show, it said, take care of the heart for out of it are the issues in life. Now, if you don't have the brain cells for that, you look at take care of the heart for out of it. Or the, what the heck does that mean? What we now know, and this word has not been translatable in the West until just a few decades ago and has not been broadly understood at all, but that word heart in the Aramaic refers to the unconscious. So what was being said 2,000 years ago was take care your unconscious for out of it are the issues in life. For the average person, the accumulated unconscious energies are what set up and originate the events that happen in their lives. So what what was being counseled at that point was take time to look into your own unconscious dynamics and clean them up rather than looking to the issue that appears to be out there. Something shows up in your world and you think, well, look at that out there that showed up. It really has a problem rather than, gee, this thing showed up in my life 87 different times with 42 different people. Maybe I have a problem. 
so as I recognize that I have a problem, I get to look at that part of my mind. And as I look at that part of my mind, I can forgive it. Forgiveness isn't about how the person who delivers what I've asked for, remember, ask and receive, how I let them off the hook because they've delivered what they've delivered. Letting them off the hook for what they've delivered, should I choose to do that, is called pardoning. But forgiveness is I go inside my own heart, the hidden part of my own mind, and I remove what asked for that situation. And as I do that, I get to clean up that part of me that originates unconsciously in my life. And as I do that, I'm freed of it. I don't have to play those unconscious games with people anymore. I can be fully conscious and fully aware in my life as to how the whole game works. And one of the keys to looking into the heart is to breathe a way of hiding from ourselves what we don't want to deal with. I mean, just observe the next time you see somebody in some form of trauma or upset, you'll notice that in their trauma or upset, they're holding their breath. When one holds the breath, they are cut off from a part of their own minds. So simply breathing can be a way to access those hidden parts of the mind. And as I get free... I'm no longer going to create that result in my life. So there are many ways that we were informed as to how the creative process works. Speaking, you will find when the perceptual system formulates a particular quality of reality, it formulates that quality of reality out of the content of my mind. And when I can own and change that part of my mind, I get to be free of it. And as I'm freed of it, everything begins to change. So we're here to support everything changing. We're here to support a world where we have seven and a half people, seven and a half, pardon me, billion people who wake up every morning and are opening their eyes are able to say, ah, I have a human life. I am love. What kind of loving, creative process can I engage in today? You know, Dr. Tim yesterday uh, was, was sharing, and I thought it was pretty powerful when he, he spoke about how uh, these people, when, when asked if they had a time machine, what would they do? They'd go back and kill somebody who created an event in history that... Um, that they didn't like happening. And and our culture has become so violence-oriented, and of course Dr. Tim's simple resolution of that was, well, what if instead of going back and killing that person that created what you don't like and therefore adding more killing energy to the planet, what if you went back and from conception onward or perhaps in their genetics went back to their grandparents, their parents, and their lives and nurtured them and brought them healing, gave them the tools for healing, and brought them forward as the awesome, wonderful, creative beings that they are. What about that option? And It's an option that doesn't occur to many people because many people don't have that content within their minds because our culture has become so violence-oriented. 
You know, we're always functioning out of the brain cells that we have. And it, it takes time to rebuild the root of the structure that's based in violence. To free ourselves from the violence of this culture is one of the primary purposes of this work so that we wake up in the morning fully alive, cellular love present in experience, cellular love expressing in emotion, thoughts, and words, and functioning as totally, truly human beings. How different would our world be? What could 7.5 billion people be creating tomorrow? Do you think if 7.5 billion people woke up as love, that anybody would be dumping food into the oceans and leaving children to starve? Excuse me, it wouldn't be happening. Not in a million years. We have more than enough food to feed every mouth on the planet. But because some people don't have little green strips of paper to pay for it with, they, they literally starve to death. Especially, and I don't remember what the numbers are, but huge numbers of children starve to death every day in this country. Or, or pardon me, not so much in this country, starve to death. A lot of children are starving, are undernourished and malnourished because they don't have enough food. But in many countries in the world are literally starving to death. Couldn't happen if seven and a half people, billion people woke up as the presence of love, expressing as true human beings. So we'd certainly be living in a different world and playing different games than the ones we're playing now. And so this work is about creating a space where that can occur. And we're just blessed and delighted that you're here to share this time with us. If you're uh, ready, we're down to just the last couple of minutes, and so uh, I'll just offer that if you're ready to uh, to take your work to the next level, you might want to have a look at our website and look at uh, the intensive summer uh, schedule for next summer. That's all set up at Heartland. I think we've got 68 days of intensives next summer. And in February, especially if you want to get away from winter, we'll be doing two intensives in uh, Orlando, Florida in February. Beginning February 1st, we'll do a nine-day codependence to interdependence communication practicum. That nine-day will then stretch out into a 16-day. We'll actually take one day off, and then we'll move into a 16-day laws of living. So if you're ready to take your work to the next level, uh, let us know. We'd be delighted to have you join us. We've uh, rented an, an awesomely beautiful upscale home in Orlando, Florida, and uh, we'll be starting there on the 1st of February. We'd be delighted to have you join us. In the meantime, we appreciate each and every one of you for joining us, and uh, we'll look forward to the next time we get to get face-to-face. In the meantime, an awesome gift to give the world is to create the best year yet of your eternal life. We're here to support you doing that. Have a blessed day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice and his wife, Jeannie, who present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. Michael and Jeannie are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.yagain.com. That's www.whyagain.com.